0: This is a Lip Media podcast. Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror, it is the episode of Dr. Who I'm talking about today when and I might have a theory at some point. Hello, chickens. It's the fabulous Adam Richard. Uh, Welcome to my theory podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, What the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? Get a head start on summer and try Peloton risk-free with Peloton Rentals at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So, Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror is what I've been talking about. I was in the middle of talking about Hugh Jackman. uh, And (laughs) I was going to talk to you about, at the end of the last episode, about... The fact that like I'd met Hugh Jackman and people always go, oh, what's he really like? And there's three people. There are three people who I always get asked, what are they really like whenever someone knows that I know them? One of them is Rove, the host of Whovians, who I absolutely adore uh, and have been friends with since, oh my God, when did I start doing stand-up? Like 1997? It's a very long time ago. Uh, The other one is Adam Hills, the host of Spicks and Specs. Uh, So people always ask what are they really like like they've like there's they've got some secret like some they're in the closet about something like you know there's something else going on and all i will say is look at their careers they have all been fantastically successful individuals they have all had incredible careers they have done so so much and been just amazing in everything they've turned their hands to so What are they hiding? Well, they're Australian, so they have to behave in a particular way. And there is something that Australians find uglier than anything in the world. Americans love it. Americans are mad for it. Uh, The Brits are a bit weird about it. But Australians, we absolutely hate ambition. We cannot stand it. We think it is ugly. We don't want anyone to put their head above the pack, we, you know, the tall poppy syndrome exists purely because we are all, you know, happy to chop people off at the knees the minute they start to get ideas above their station. And I think that is all that is going on with with Hugh Jackman, Rove McManus, Adam Hills. They're nakedly ambitious, but they can't be nakedly ambitious, so they have to wear a non ambitious dress. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know why everything's in drag in this podcast. <laughs> but yeah, so they're basically they can't be themselves because people will go, oh yuck, how needy. And you know, the way we treat Rhonda Birchmore. Um like, seriously, people are very mean to Rhonda and she's a lovely, lovely woman, but you know, she wants and needs and, and you can smell it. Uh so yeah, I'm I'm quite needy and I'm happy for people to know how needy I am. Please pay! To me. I haven't been that needy lately uh, <laughs> But yeah, I, I think it, that's all it is Is that they're, they got to where they are by being ambitious But they have to pretend not to be ambitious Because Australians don't like ambitious people So they've all been very successful at both of those things And I think they deserve all of the amazing applause And plaudits and work that they get So big round of applause Come on, clapping, clapping people Clapping people who are ambitious and successful, uh, because why? Why should why should we find it an ugly and horrendous thing to be? You know, going after something you've always wanted your whole life and achieving it. It it seems a weird thing for an entire nation to rubbish people for. Like you know, like to the point where when Hugh Jackman talks about be being cast as Wolverine, there's always kind of this. You know. he reiterates the fact that he was not originally offered the role. Like, the role was originally given to Dugress Scott, who was off in Australia making Mission Impossible 2, which overran and went over budget and went over time. And Tom Cruise was here for about 14 years. Uh, And so they needed quickly to cast someone. So Hugh Jackman just went to an audition, got the part, and then was Wolverine for the next 20 years. Uh, Although... You know, he's come from musical theatre and it's and he's much taller than Wolverine is in the comic books. But anyway, that's another story. Also, I did, I did love that when Hugh Jackman found out he'd been cast as Wolverine, he thought he didn't know a Wolverine was a real animal, he thought, he thought it was just a comic book name. So he studied wolves and was doing wolf acting, which I guess brings me back to. Uh, Old mate playing the Scorpion Queen and her insect acting. I guess there's only one kind of insect acting. So yes, let's go back to Doctor Who. I've talked about ambitious celebrities for long enough, and my very good friend Rove, who I adore. Uh, I hope you're all watching Hoovy and still. I'm I'm not on this week, obviously, because they recorded it on on Monday, and that was yesterday, and I'm not there. <laughs> I'm uh, talking to you guys. Uh, so yes, I I really enjoyed uh, the the Nikola Tesla episode um it's uh, it, it, it didn't have the kind of crazy over-the-topness that uh, that I feel like this, this series has had already, like trying to jam too many things in. There was, you know, a brief moment of Base Under Siege, it wasn't the whole episode of Base Under Siege, we had some excitement on a train, we had some, you know, running around the streets of uh, Long Island and being chased by giant scorpion creatures, Oh, and the return of Robert Glenister to the show. One of my favorite actors, he appeared uh, in possibly one of the best Doctor Who stories of all time, The Caves of Androzani. It is the but it's not the season finale because there is an episode after it. Um in series 22, no, 21. Uh it's Peter Davison's final story as the Doctor and Robert Glenister is in that and he uh he is just adorable. Uh he plays Two characters, well, one character and a robot of himself. <laughs> but he's great, and there's um, it's kind of interesting. Like it's uh, also d- directed by Graham Harper, who went on to direct um, many episodes during the Russell T Davis era. And uh, I watched it once with the, <laughs> with the commentary track, and Graham Harper was like, "Oh, I wanted, I wanted to have all these people saying." things to each other but they're not facing away from the camera so it's there's bits where it's like a soap opera where they're all talking to the back of each other's heads i always found that weird in soap operas like you know where ridge and Brooke are having a really intense conversation it's like surely like she deserves some sort of an award for acting like she is having an intense conversation with the back of ridge's head cause they're always talking to the back of each other's heads like we can see both their faces we can see the the emotion going on and i get that that's why they do the framing like that cuz it's too expensive when you're making a soap opera and you're trying to b- churn out you know 30 minutes a day uh to have another camera in the background cuz when you've got when you do reaction shots you have to re-film the entire scene all over again cuz if you have the camera in the background you can see it so i i think soap opera actors need to be applauded for their amazing work in talking to the backs of heads. Uh but anyway, uh Robert Glenister doing very, very, very amazing work. He also was in like a show with Peter Davison back in like the eighties. When Peter Davison was Doctor Who, he was also in a sitcom with his uh with Robert Glenister and they were they brothers, I think. I don't know. I was very young back then. It was a long time ago. But yeah, I did I did thoroughly enjoy this episode. And uh, I've got one or two quick little theories from you guys from previous episodes. Uh, just quickly, uh, Jess on Twitter replied, I loved Love and Monsters. You aren't the only one. Oh, phew. Thank God. Uh, also, Blink, which is many people's favourite, barely has the Doctor in it. That is true. I uh, have assumed that people don't like Love and Monsters because the Doctor's not in it, but uh, everyone does love Blink. But then, you know, the monsters in Love and Monsters are a bit stupid, whereas the Weeping Angels would terrify anyone in any show. uh, <laughs> uh also, Simon Exton on Twitter. Oh, he is. He does a great podcast called the Exton Moss Experiment, where he and his mate get um, increasingly drunk uh, and watch very, very, very old television or things that you can't normally find. They watched Outland, and bless them, they were quite sozzled by the end of it. Bless, it was. Ve- it's very cute. Please seek them out. Anyway, Simon says here's a a spyfall theory. Yaz has been at the heart of the Masters TARDIS since episode one. What? And it was a construct that left his security box. She's being used to project an increasingly weird series of places which will all collapse in an Escher nightmare and the Master will appear in a variety of rubbish disguises. Oh, it's Valva! <laughs> the first Peter Davison episode. That's Adric that's stuck in the heart of the Master's TARDIS. Um, and look, there's some confronting business going on with Adric's pants. I'll talk about that in the next episode.